Welcome to the On Your Left podcast, the politics podcast that's probably to your left. My name's Katrina, and I use she-them pronouns. I'm Norali, I use she-her pronouns, and we are in your uh, podcast feed every Wednesday, so be sure to hit the subscribe button, follow button, whatever it is in podcast world on your app. Um, it's a great time truly is and if you want to continue to have a great time with us and make it even better you can support us on patreon at patreon.com slash on your left pod so we can continue making these episodes for you and make them freely available to anybody who wants to listen to them so what are we talking about today i feel like it's a bit of a heavy topic so today we're going to be talking about guns and gun violence it is a bit of a heavy topic. I understand if not everybody uh, is prepared to have this conversation. Uh, Although we're not going to get into the specifics of any particular gun violence event. Um, I know it's a sensitive topic and people who've experienced gun violence may not want to listen to this episode and that's totally cool. Just blanket trigger warning for the whole episode. We are talking about guns in the gun episode. Yes. So why are we talking about guns this week? Yeah, so we weren't originally planning on discussing guns this week, but uh, halfway through the week for us, the day after we posted the last podcast episode, the New York Attorney General Letita James filed a lawsuit on uh, Thursday seeking to dissolve the National Rifle Association as a nonprofit, saying that years of corruption and misspending had irreparably undermined its ability to operate as a nonprofit, and accuse its chief executive, Wang LaPierre, of raiding NRA funds to bankroll the extravagant lifestyle that he holds, including frequent trips to the Bahamas on private planes. I want to go to the Bahamas. Oh man, that sounds nice right now. Private planes aren't so nice, though. They're horrible for the environment, and you shouldn't use them. But, oh man... I want to go to the Bahamas. <laughs> um, so in addition to the New York Attorney General um, filing a lawsuit, the Attorney General of Washington, D.C. filed suit against the NRA right after, alleging that the gun rights lobby had misused its charitable foundation's funds for nice trips to the Bahamas, I guess. Wow, I, I just really want to go to the Bahamas now. I've never been. You know, nor have I. But uh, <laughs> as we discussed on our climate change episode last week, they might not be there for very long. So I guess now's a good time to go. <laughs> no, now's a good time to stay at home. Everyone stay at home. <laughs> yeah, but if you're already in the Bahamas, I hope you're enjoying yourself. Yeah. Just stay there. I've heard good things. So, of course, the NRA, which is a very wealthy nonprofit uh, with a militant support base, has filed its own suit against the New York Attorney General's office and called the entire inquiry a power grab by a political opportunist, referring, of course, to Latita James, who was elected in 2018. Yeah. Of course they did. They have all that money and all those lawyers. Additionally, we should say uh, Latita James is a 
black woman who was the Attorney General of New York, um, who has definitely encountered racism and sexism throughout her original campaign to become the Attorney General and still now. And it's not a... uh, Having a civil suit filed against you isn't necessarily making you a power grab isn't necessarily a power grab because it's not actually taking power away from she's not gaining power by stripping someone of their nonprofit status and dissolving a nonprofit that has shown time and again that all of its officers are incredibly corrupt taking money from the working class to enrich themselves yeah that that seems like the opposite of a power grab in addition to uh, the NRA lawsuits that are ongoing, um, like many other businesses in the U.S. right now, Remington, one of the oldest gun manufacturers, filed for bankruptcy because, well, people don't really need guns in a pandemic, and one could argue that people don't need guns ever, um, although we'll talk more about the actual gun sales going on right now. Later, the company has been... But the real reason why they filed for bankruptcy is because the company has been hemorrhaging money ever since their initial bankruptcy filing in 2018, after parents in Sandy Hook sued the company for its part in the school shooting in 2012, and after demands for gun control after the Parkland shooting in 2018 forced them into more debt. Many people involved in these cases are really concerned that the company will use its bankruptcy filing to avoid responsibility for its actions, which is exactly what it sounds like they're doing. It's concerning, to say the least, that... On the one hand, I'm feeling optimistic because a gun manufacturer going out of business means people are less interested in buying firearms and keeping ammunition around their household because it's 2020 most people don't need guns Mm -hmm. uh i live in western pennsylvania i certainly know a lot of hunters who use guns but for the most part it's like a fun hobby of theirs that they do like once a year with their family it's not necessarily a thing that they need to do to survive. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, most people get their food from grocery stores, not from hunting in the woods. So there's no need for guns. <laughs> They're becoming less necessary every year. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason we're seeing these companies file for bankruptcy and this decline of sales is because gun control has been at the forefront of our minds for years now. Before the pandemic, school shootings were all too common an occurrence. In fact, the very first month without a school shooting in years was because all of the people stopped going to school. We stopped sending our kids to school because they could get sick and die. And as a side effect, they didn't die of gun violence. And this whole time, young people have been living in fear and demanding that lawmakers fix things and act. Just last year, just a little bit over a year ago, a shooting in El Paso made it very clear that nothing has changed when a white supremacist 
shot a bunch of people in a Walmart. And then within 24 hours, there was another mass shooting in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. God, I, I remember that day. That was terrifying. That was just last year, too. I know time is fake right now, but that was not very long ago. And it's horrifying that nothing has changed. Promises were made by Donald Trump that things would change. Because there were also promises made after the Parkland shooting from Donald Trump that things would change. Time and time again, we've seen him make these promises that he would do something about this epidemic and then just back off after the slightest amount of pressure from his party or from the gun lobby because he's a coward with no backbone. And it's especially horrifying because 9 out of 10 Americans want, at the very least, increased background checks during gun sales and want loopholes that let people buy guns at shows without background checks to be closed. Those are, those are very, those are, that's the least we can do. And not even that is happening. It's a very popular policy, and it's also a very reasonable policy. There are people under our laws who are not allowed to own guns because they have a domestic violence conviction, uh, because they're are mental health problems that when being owning a gun could put their own lives at risk or the lives of their loved ones at risk that's the whole reason why we have background checks and making sure that universal background checks are a thing that happens could mean saving countless lives um so a lot of things have changed during the pandemic and Every Town for Gun Safety has been conducting research on gun violence during the pandemic. And here are some of their here are some of their key findings. I do encourage everyone to read the full report, but it is a little bit longer and it's too long to do in a podcast. Just we want to <laughs> keep this under an hour every week. The demand for guns surged during the coronavirus pandemic, resulting in an estimated 2.6 million additional gun sales when compared to previous years, and this absolutely taxed the background check system. There's something called the Charleston loophole, which is basically if you do not get the results of a background check within 72 hours, you are automatically eligible and cleared to receive that gun. Having this surge in gun purchases meant that it was harder to get these background checks finished in a timely manner uh, and because the system wasn't set up for this huge surge. None of our systems were set up for the coronavirus pandemic at all, Uh, but we don't know how many background checks were actually completed when compared to these gun sales. We don't know if there were people who were able to buy guns that legally should not be able to own guns. That is terrifying. Um, It is absolutely ridiculous that uh, just because you don't get your results in time, that means you should get something that could murder someone. That it should be if you don't get your results in time, you don't get the gun until you get your results. Like that, guns don't expire. It's not food. You can wait. Oh my gosh. That is... 
ah, I don't know what to say other than, I like, yeah, my reaction is just general screaming at that rule. Wait until we get to the rest of the report. <laughs> it's all bad. <laughs> yeah. So, um, increased gun sales during the height of of the COVID-19 outbreak, coupled with millions of children atypically home from school, increased the risk of child gun suicide and unintentional shootings. Unintentional shooting deaths by children increased by 30% in March through May of 2020, compared to the March-May average of the past three years. Um, Obviously, these kids are alone. They're not seeing their friends. They are just at home, sometimes in rough situations and in emotional distress, that paired with guns is not a good thing. Yeah, it's a really big problem. And so many of these unintentional shooting deaths of children and also by children could be decreased just by using proper gun safety storage, uh, having a gun lock, uh, storing your ammunition in a different Place than where you store your gun, uh, ensuring that your gun is not loaded and unsecured. These are all very simple things you can do at home if there is a gun in your home to reduce the risk of your children getting hurt or hurting someone else. And then we should also say that suicide is also gun violence. People unfortunately commit suicide. Uh, very regularly and one of the highest risk factors for suicide is unemployment because we live in a capitalist society where being unemployed is one of the worst things you could be because you are unable to survive in an individualistic society if you are unemployed and uh that's not good and without no it's not and without swift and concerted intervention this like drastic economic downturn resulting from COVID 19 could greatly heighten the risk of firearm suicide, and just based on historical precedent, the U.S. risked a 20 to 30 percent increase in firearm suicides, potentially costing the nation an additional 5,000 to 7,000 lives, about 20 more per day in 2020. That is horrifying. Um, and please know if you are considering committing suicide you matter we don't want to lose you you are important please stay in this world so in addition to that horrifying fact domestic violence spikes during times of prolonged financial stress which everyone has been under the unemployment rate is sky high um the combination of surging gun sales and shelter in place orders has left domestic violence victims trapped with abusive partners, too many of whom have easy access to guns. Access to a gun makes it five times more likely that a male abuser will kill his female victim. Editorial note, domestic violence statistics around gun violence were not available for same-sex couples or situations where a man is the victim of abuse. Uh, It's not widely studied, but... The fact that it is five times more likely for someone to kill a person they are abusing if they have access to a gun is a huge problem uh, because domestic violence is already a really big problem, but 
being able to get out alive, to be able to leave a dangerous situation is one of the best things we can do for victims. Mm-hmm. And we just don't do it because we keep letting these known abusers have access to guns. Yeah. It's horrifying. We've also seen, as the coronavirus has rolled across the country, its impact isn't evenly felt. Uh, Black Americans are nearly twice as likely as white Americans to die from COVID-19, often because of being essential workers, uh, having worse access to health care. Class issues are also a predominant part of this racial issue, but uh, Black people are also more than four times as likely to die from firearm homicide because city gun violence has persisted even amidst shelter-in-place orders because, let's be honest, if you live in a city, you also have less space for yourself usually, and that's a problem. And there are systemic and structural discrimination against communities of color are now resulting in these communities disproportionately experiencing the deadly effects of both public health crises because gun violence is a public health crisis. It's killing us. The good thing is there are ways we can help and there are ways to fix this. Um, Every Town for Gun Safety uh, who conducted this study recommends swift action on proven policies and programs that can keep families safe in these difficult times, uh, such as closing the Charleston loophole, reasserting federal regulation over ghost guns, raising awareness of secure firearm storage practices, enacting extreme risk laws, and keeping guns out of the hands of domestic abusers, and, of course, increasing funding for gun violence intervention programs. These are all really great recommendations from this research that the Everytown for Gun Safety conducted. These are all real policies that they have been working on for years and that activists have been pushing for for a long time. Moving on, let's get into our new favorite segment, Joe Biden. He's our first choice now. He is our first choice now. Wasn't before, is now. (laughs) We have options, and he is the best of two. Yep. (laughs) So, uh, although we may not sound enthusiastic, we should say that Joe Biden's past actions around gun violence have been incredibly effective and have led to a lot of good things. Like in 1993, he shepherded through Congress the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act, which established the background check system that has since kept more than 3 million firearms out of dangerous hands. That's incredible. Also in 1994, uh, Joe Biden, along with Senator Dianne Feinstein, uh, secured the passage of 10-year bans on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. Um, Unfortunately, the Bush administration in the Congress of 2004 did not extend that assault weapon ban. But we did learn a lot, and we did see a decrease in gun violence then. Um, Mm -hmm. Much more recently, uh, much more recently is something back that we can actually remember. uh, After the tragedy (laughs) of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in 2012, uh, President Obama tasked Vice President 
Biden with developing legislative proposals and executive actions to make our communities safer. Unfortunately, the legislative proposals failed. Uh, the Senate voted them down by a very small margin. And the best way to combat that is to take back the Senate and make sure that we do get real gun safety laws passed. But the Obama-Biden administration did take more than two dozen actions, including narrowing the gun show loophole, uh, increasing the number of records in the background check system, and expanding funding for mental health services. Yeah, all of that is so important. And it does prove that he has a track record of doing good things to decrease gun violence. And now uh, he has a plan to continue to address gun violence should he become the president of the United States. Um, So the first thing he wants to do is hold gun manufacturers accountable. Um, In 2005, then-Senator Biden voted against the protection of lawful commerce in arms, but gun manufacturers successfully lobbied Congress to secure its passage. Um, This law protects these manufacturers from being held civilly liable for their products, a protection guaranteed to no other industry, um, and Joe Biden will prioritize repealing this protection. And this absolutely goes back to um, what we talked about towards the top of the episode with Remington going out of business and filing bankruptcy uh, after they were sued by the parents of the Sandy Hook shooting because they are possibly going to be held civilly liable for people dying as a result of their product. Biden also wants to go back towards the 1994 assault weapons ban and ban the manufacture and sale of assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in the United States. He also wants to regulate the possession of existing assault weapons under the National Firearms Act. Currently, the National Firearms Act requires individuals possessing machine guns, silencers, and short-barreled rifles to undergo a background check and register those weapons with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, also known as the ATF. Um, Due to these requirements, such weapons are rarely used in crimes. As president, Biden will pursue legislation to regulate the possession of existing assault weapons under the National Firearms Act. So basically increase the purview of the National Firearms Act. Yeah, and I think that's great because we also get licenses to drive cars and register our cars. And we know that a system like this could work and could save lives and help hold people accountable if they do commit crimes with these things. Yeah. He also wants to create a fund to buy back the assault weapons and high-capacity magazines already in our communities. Because who's going to give up their gun for nothing? You can, by creating a buyback system, which have been proven to work and to decrease gun violence after uh, a buyback program is implemented, we could actually help people by helping them make good choices for themselves and their communities. Yeah. Um, I remember, like, in 2008 or so, during the financial crisis, um, 
uh, Obama ran this, like, I guess it was 2009 because it was Obama, but, like, they ran this, like, Cash for Clunkers program, which was basically a buyback program for cars, um, and that to help the auto industry so you had money to buy a new car. Um, So, like, this has also happened before for other things. I see no reason why it can't happen for this. And Joe Biden also wants to uh, reduce the stockpiling of weapons um, in order to reduce the stockpiling of firearms, Biden supports legislation restricting the number of firearms an individual may purchase per month to one. That that does still mean you get 12 guns um, if you go every month, but uh, it's something. It's something. Yeah, I have certainly met collectors of guns, and although I don't necessarily understand their hobby uh i don't think they would be significantly impeded by only being able to buy one gun at a time and if anything it makes it more fun because then you have to plan it out yeah there's the anticipation um and finally the last thing we're going to talk about is requiring background checks for all gun sales currently it's not required to have a background check for all gun sales. Uh, specifically, there is something called the gun show loophole where you don't need to do a background check if you're buying it from a gun show uh, from a private seller that is not getting their main income from selling guns or if you're buying them online. Yeah. We can just have universal background <laughs> checks. It is just absolutely ridiculous that there are loopholes for background checks. Like, I, it, it just is ridiculous. It is incredibly unnecessary. Uh, and that's the last thing we're just going to discuss from Joe Biden's plan. It's not everything in Joe Biden's plan. I will say it's incredibly detailed. Uh, it has things to target specific problems within uh, the gun violence epidemic, like domestic violence, like uh, implementing background checks better, like stopping gun violence in cities, helping law enforcement uh, track gun sales and prevent them from getting into the hands of dangerous people. But it was a really long plan, and this is a short podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, so Narali, how can we as individuals act? to stop the gun violence epidemic. So the number one thing you can do is vote. Uh, the election is only 83 days away. Please make sure you are registered to vote and have a plan to vote. Make sure you are receiving your mail-in ballot if that is available to you. Um, and yeah, vote early, do it. Make sure everyone around you is voting. Vote, please, for the love of God, vote. <laughs> it is definitely the first step of what we all have to do. Um, you can also look up your state gun laws and contact your representatives if you think that these laws need to change. A good resource to see what the laws look like where you live is gunlawnavigator.org. It'll let, show you all of your state laws and how they compare to other states. Yep, and you can also check which representatives have been endorsed by Moms Demand Action, um, and if there are any elections uh, that where Moms Demand has endorsed someone in your community, like maybe 
maybe look at the rest of their policies, see if there's someone you want to vote for. Yeah, I definitely want to make sure that everyone I'm voting to be my representative is a gun sense voter because I want to make sure that we are implementing common sense policies like universal background checks, which are incredibly popular and effective to just be laws. They should be laws. They should. (laughs) So, uh, Katrina, what are some good things this week? There were some good things. Look, I'm going to be honest. It was a little bit of a struggle to find uh, good news. Uh, That might be more my depression than a state of the world, though. Let's let's keep that in mind. Uh, But last month, Apple, which is the most valuable company in the world, apparently. Uh, So last month, they unveiled their plan to become carbon neutral across their entire business, manufacturing supply chain, and product life cycle for all of their devices by 2030. Um, This company is already carbon neutral today for all of its global corporate operations. So this new commitment means that every single Apple device sold will have a net zero climate impact. That is incredible. Um, Yeah, I criticize Apple a lot for their the way they run their business, but this is a good thing. And more companies should be uh, working towards this if they aren't already. Yeah. Uh, You know, wealthy people are also going to be impacted by climate change, so they should really do something about it. Yeah. uh, They're (laughs) going to put their money where their mouth is to have a net zero climate impact. So uh, one other good thing uh, that happened this week is that New Zealand has gone 100 days without community transmission of COVID-19. That is incredible and also proves that it is doable. New New Zealand is a nation made up of two islands, so it's a lot easier to handle than uh, what the United States is going through, but still, they've managed it, they've figured it out, they've stopped community transmission of COVID-19, That is incredible, and that is a win for the world. Yeah, it's amazing that any country was able to do this at all, because we cannot see a virus. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they implemented great public health policies, um, including some new border policies about trying to prevent people who have been in contact with COVID-19 from entering the country, Uh, but also, you know, they had great contact tracing. They took good care of people who were, um, unfortunately got sick and made sure they were able to quarantine safely. And all of that happened because New Zealand cares about the people that live there. I'm not salty at all about that. (laughs) Oh man, what's that like living in a country where, where the government cares about you? Huh? I wouldn't know. Hope we find out someday. (laughs) All right. So, um, as always, we're going to end this podcast with a mango fact, because we love mangoes. They are the greatest fruit in the world. And our mango fact of the day, or Katrina, do you want to take this? Oh, I can't pronounce any of those words. This is all you. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, uh, our mango fact today is all about where mangoes grow. So, uh, mangoes 
in India are commercially cultivated in the states of Andhra Pradesh, West Bengal, Karnataka, Kerala, Bihar, Uttar Pradesh, Ut- Uttarakhand, Punjab, and Haryana, Maharashtra, and Gujarat, which is my home state. Um, yeah. I'm sorry if I also butchered any of those pronunciations. I grew up in America. I am sorry. <laughs> I think you did good. I mean, I also grew up in America and am Thai and know mm-hmm. almost nothing about India. So I think you did great. <laughs> Truly doing our best here. Yeah, we're, we're trying. That's all we can do. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you want to hear more from us, you can follow me at Katrina Ames on YouTube, Twitter, and God willing, if it still exists, TikTok. <laughs> and um, you can find me at, at Firewood Sparkler on Twitter, YouTube, and today, when this podcast comes out, you can now find me on Twitch. I'm starting a Twitch channel. It's happening. Yay! Yeah, I'm excited. Well, it's going to be great. You can also follow the podcast at On Your Left Pod on Twitter. And if you want to support us, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash on your left pod. Thanks so much for listening. Go check your voter registration. <laughs> <laughs>